0: Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. This evening we'll be looking specifically in verse number 18. And uh, this will be one of the last messages in this chapter Uh, as 19, 20, and 21 kind of go together. We'll cover those week after next. Uh, But in Romans chapter 18, Paul says to the Romans, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Paul here is giving another admonition to the Roman church. And he's done this in, in quick little statements. Uh, I know the, the... I don't know if you call it a quote, but it's been said that books and chapters don't necessarily change people's perspective, but statements do. Because we remember statements. Um, a lot of times, even if we hear a sermon... Or if we read a book, we may not remember the whole book, but we remember specific statements in the book, and those statements have impacts on us. And that's basically what Paul's doing here. He's he's making sure he's giving them short, concise statements on what they are supposed to be doing as people who have been taken by God, been shown the mercies of God, and have been called to live out the will of God. And we've seen those. We've seen that we ought not let our love be with dissimulation. We're to have affection toward each other. We're not to be slothful. We're to rejoice in hope. We're to be giving. We're to bless those that persecute. We're to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Last week we looked at Paul telling us not to recompense evil... To somebody who recompenses evil to us. Just because somebody does something to you doesn't mean you do it right back to them. But Paul kind of closes out this, this quip, if we want to call it that section of commands. Which does go in line with what he said before with, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. In essence, the call that Paul is giving us in this verse goes along with what we saw last week. Last week, we understood that we are to be peacemakers and not ones that create conflict. But in this verse, Paul is pointing out to us that we are to be peace seekers as well. We're not just to make peace, but we're to seek peace. We're not just to create it and be about building peace, but we are to seek peace. To live in peace and Paul does this by giving us two examples and we'll kind of go over the first one more quickly and spend a lot more time on the second because I think there's a lot of things on the second that we can help that can help clarify us if we look at Paul's life and that's what we'll do. but Paul first of all he speaks on how how and when we are to live peaceably, when we're to live in peace with people. And by flip side of that, when we're to live in truth, when we're to live truthfully. Um, it's kind of a trick, a trick statement, if you will, because we should always be living peaceably and we should always be living truthfully, but we need to understand how these things both go together. Um, I was, uh, as I was studying this out, I was reading some of a sermon that Spurgeon gave on this text. And uh, one of the illustrations that he gave for this text, he said that whenever he was in, he was younger, he lived in an apartment complex. So he didn't have much of a yard, but they had little spaces of yard that went with each apartment. Um, I don't know if this, this may ring a bell. But it helped me kind of grasp what he was saying. But my mind went to the, uh, the movie that Alfred Hitchcock put out, The Rear Window. You know, he had Jimmy Stewart up in the window and there was somebody that had a garden down there and, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's been like 50 years, so I'm sorry if I ruined it for you. But the man puts his wife in a suitcase and buries her in the garden, et cetera, et cetera. So, but that was, that's where my mind was because he talks about a garden being in the back end of these apartments. Well, he had started to plant a garden and he said that his neighbor had an English bulldog that was not a very good gardener and was constantly, all the time, coming in, tearing up what he had planted. He said it got to the point one day that he caught him out there. He said he picked up a stick and decided that he was going to teach the dog a lesson. So he throws the stick at the dog to try and run him off. The stick misses the dog. And he expects the dog to run away because he's just been attacked. But what the dog does is he goes and picks up the stick, tail wagging, and brings the stick back to the young Charles Spurgeon. And what he did is he used this to illustrate what Paul's saying in this text. Because if any of us have ever had that happen, it's hard to be mad if you've thrown a stick at a dog and the dog brings the stick back to you, excited because he thinks that it's time to play. It's hard to be mad. It's hard to be stern with my children whenever they're about to be disciplined and they say something funny or something offhanded that that takes us off guard. It's hard to keep a straight face. And what Paul, in essence, is, is conveying to us in this verse is that is the way that we ought to be reacting towards people. When people come at us, and we saw that in verse 17, we're not to recompense that evil for evil. But we ought to be like the dog who come back with a stick. We ought to be recompensing good to the evil that they recompense to us. And what Paul says here, and to, in essence to clarify verse 17, is if it's all possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. So Paul gives us a couple of statements in when we are to live peacefully. And he tells us in verse 18, if it is possible. So when are we to, when are we to live in peace with people? We're to live in peace with people when it's possible. But what Paul does is he clarifies that. So, so if it's possible for us... We should be seeking peace. And that's 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 it. That's the first point. If it's possible, we should be seeking peace out. We should be trying to be peaceful people. We should try and try to be peaceful towards other people. But Paul understanding the Romans and understanding what they needed, he clarifies when they're to live peacefully. So they should always be living peacefully. But they're not living just for the sake of peace. And that seems to be the two, the two extremes that we go to. We have people over here who, well, i do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care who it hurts. I don't care why. I don't care anything. I'm going to do what I want to do. But then you got people over on the flip side of that that are doing anything and everything to keep peace with people. They'll they'll do anything to keep the peace. They'll they'll do anything not to rock the boat. And Paul's not telling us to be on either one of those sides, but he says as much as it lies within you. Paul wants us to understand that there shouldn't be anything in us that is anti-peace with people. But he wants us to know That there are going to be people in our life that will not allow us to live peaceably with them. There's going to be people that we encounter that will only ever be critical people. There will only ever be pessimistic people. There will only ever be people at war with ideas and thoughts and other personalities. There's going to be those type of people that no matter what we do, they are not going to allow anyone to be at peace with them. And those are the ones that Paul is talking to. Paul's not saying that we should seek peace at any price. But that purity of truth has to come before peace at any price. And that purity of truth we understand is the gospel. And I do want to take Paul and explain Paul's life on how he played this out and then hit a couple points, I guess subpoints on how this will apply to us. But what Paul's saying in this verse before we get into his life is he's saying if you are in a situation that the outcome is not peaceable, don't let it be your fault. Don't let it be your fault that that person or those people were not willing to live peaceably with you. And at times, it may mean that you have to step away from that person or that group of people or whatever it may be, there's going to be times that you may have to step away in order to continue to live peaceably yourself. Because if you're continually trying to make peace with someone who will, will never be peaceful, you're in essence turning your peacefulness into a weapon of warfare. So Paul tells us this, but I want to look at how some of this kind of laid itself out in Paul's life. So real quick, we want to look at a couple passages of Scripture, but I want to look over again as we did last week at James chapter number 3 and verse number 17. Because James tells us when and how we're to live peaceably. James says in chapter 3, we'll start in verse 16 and read down to verse number 18. He says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. So James is saying, First, in your peace, in your peaceable, Listen, in your peaceful life, first pure. And we can never get this flipped. We can never sacrifice the purity of the gospel and the purity of the truth for peacefulness. So the purity comes first, then peacefulness, then gentleness, full of mercy, and good fruits without partiality. So if we understand what James is telling us, we take what Paul is telling us, We can understand that it is the purity of the gospel, the purity of the truth, the truth that we even saw this morning, that has to come first in our peaceable living. So I want to look at two other sections of Scripture and use Paul as a a case study, so to speak. How did Paul exemplify living in peace but not at any cost in his own life? First of all, I want to look at Galatians chapter number 2, and then we'll turn over to Acts chapter number 20. So in Galatians chapter number 2, Paul is explaining to the Galatian church an event that happened in his life. It's an event that a lot of people call to remembrance, but not necessarily for the right reason. But... In verse number 11, Paul tells the Galatian church, he said, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. So it doesn't sound like Paul was trying to go with peace with Peter. He says, I withstood him to his face. So how can we reconcile this? For before that certain came, he's talking about Peter, so before Peter came from James... He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So Peter was fine with eating with the Gentiles until some of the other Jews came, and Peter was like, Well, this is going to stir up problems. This is going to stir up issues if I keep eating with the Gentiles when the Jewish people come. So I'm going to withdraw myself from the Gentiles to keep peace with the Jews. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So Paul's saying it didn't just affect Peter, but there were others in that group that all backed away from the Gentiles, even Barnabas who we we know as an encourager, who had, had a good heart, Barnabas withdrew as well. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, so the gospel was at stake, I said unto Peter, Before all of them, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ, even we who we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek just to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto Christ. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So what Paul does in this text... And actually, if you look earlier in the text, it wasn't just Peter that he had to deal with because in verse number three, he said, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Jew, was compelled to be circumcised. So there was this issue that had came up that Paul's speaking to. And Paul thought it necessary to confront Peter publicly, not to shame him and not to be divisive, but Paul saw that the gospel was at stake. For Paul, this was a gospel issue because they were in essence saying, if you're not circumcised and if you're not a Jew, then you can't be holding to the name of Christ And while they may not have been saying that with their mouths, they were showing that with their actions. And Paul comes in, he says, Peter and even Barnabas, you guys are showing the Gentiles that they cannot be part of the household of God. So Paul is in essence saying to them, you're wrong. He wasn't trying to keep the peace at any cost like Peter was. But Paul was trying to keep the peace of the gospel. Yes. Yeah. Paul was exemplifying, if at all possible, keep the peace. But when the gospel is at stake, there can't be peace. But going even past that, turn over to Acts chapter number 20. We'll read a couple of verses there. When the gospel is not at stake, there can be peace. And we see this, it's a similar situation played out in Paul's life. <clears throat> Acts chapter number 20, through verse number 26, the Bible says that Paul is talking, he says, he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying that both Jews and Greeks' repentance towards God and faith Towards our Lord Jesus Christ, and now behold, I go in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count. I my life dear unto myself so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God and now behold I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. And that I have shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. What Paul's doing here is he is telling them that he's heading into Jerusalem. And he knows that he will be bound. And if you continue to read through this section of scripture, what Paul does when he goes into Jerusalem. And you can find that in around verse 20 through verse 26 of chapter number 21 what we see is that Paul goes to the temple, but before he goes to the temple, he purifies himself, he shaves his head, and he puts on the garment that you would put on when you go into the temple. Now, we understand that none of that was necessary anymore because Christ is the one that purifies And Paul understood that none of that was necessary anymore. But what Paul was doing is he was going to Jerusalem. And as he says in another text, he is becoming all things to all men. He is doing what he has to do to keep unity so that he can spread the gospel. So there's a distinction that we have in what Paul does in his life. He He at times does have to confront Peter because Peter is directly messing up the purity of the gospel but at other times he's fine with going along with the traditions of the Jews so that he doesn't make up some big fuss. So real quickly I want to look at five different ways in light of this that we can understand when we should be keeping the peace. When, as Paul says, with everything that lies in us, to live peaceably with all men. So first of all, the first principle that I believe we see here is that we should always be in defense of the gospel. Looking at this, at this parallel of truth and love, keeping the peace, and at the same time defending the gospel, we should always be in the defense of the gospel, We should never hold back on the truth of the Word of God. What that means is if the Scriptures say it, we ought not hold back what the Scriptures say because we believe that it will be divisive. We're not to skip over texts of Scripture that have been given to us because we believe those texts of Scripture will be divisive to someone. Now, we aren't called to go be divisive to that person ourselves, but there is a collection of 66 books that God has given us that will be divisive where it needs to be divisive, and it will keep the peace where it needs to keep the peace. Yes, sir. In essence, we don't even have to guard the truth because it was never given to us. When I stand and read the scripture, or for that matter, when any of us stand to read the scripture, that scripture has been committed to us to declare, but it's not been given to us to figure out what somebody needs to hear. It's not been given to us to figure out if so-and-so doesn't ever need to know this is in Scripture because it might hurt the feelings. But at the same time, it's not for us to take and use as a weapon in other places. And that's what we have a tendency to do with the Scripture. We either want to take it and use it as a weapon or we want to hide parts of it so we keep the peace. We're double-minded is what James calls us when we do that. We want to use the Scripture for our benefit, whether it means that we can live peaceably with our friends over here and we can fight with our enemies over here. But Paul told us just a few verses above this, we're not to be the respecter of a person. Because God's not the respecter of persons. God has dealt out the Scripture in the way that He wanted it written. And our job is just to declare what God has said. So, we are to live peaceably, but we are to always defend the gospel. Secondly, we're to be patient in all other matters. Everything. If it's not the gospel, we are to be patient and peaceable with people. We don't want to be the type of person... That makes it difficult for someone to get to the gospel. In essence, the Bible says that the gospel was to the Jew a stumbling block. And the gospel will be a stumbling block to people, but we are not to make the people stumble before they ever get to the gospel. And that is, again, what we have the tendency to do as Christians. We have the tendency to by our actions, make people stumble before they ever see the gospel. They'll never see the gospel because we tripped them up a long time before they ever got there. And that's why Paul is saying we have to live peaceably with all men. When Paul said that he became all things to all men, that's what he meant. If you look throughout history at different people who went... Hudson Taylor is one that comes to mind. He went to China and was able to reach people because he just assimilated to the culture. The other missionaries who I went were trying to turn Chinese people into Western people. They were trying to turn out Chinese people into wearing suits and having their hair cut and all these different things. That was what their focus was, but Hudson Taylor just went in. He started wearing what they wore, eating what they ate, looking like they looked. Because he was being patient with them, so that he could reach them with the gospel. They didn't want. They didn't. He did not want them to stumble over top of his clothing, over top of his lifestyle before they ever got to the gospel. He was in their. He was in their country. He was the foreigner. I'm not saying that we have to go step into a drug house and start shooting up to reach people in a drug house. But well, what I am saying is that we have to be willing to be patient with people even when it comes against our standards and our desires. Right. Right. Yes. I think one place where we even could see this on a, a broader level was the way that some people reacted to places asking them to wear a mask. there were pastors that were online different places that were going into places and having police called on them because they were refusing to do what that business had asked them to do. And while I understand that there is a time to to do what we feel like we need to do internally, we ought not let that be tripping people over the gospel before we get there. That pastor who went into that place and made a huge scene was picture was posted all over the internet and had the police called on him, we'll never reach those people in that business who didn't make that rule to start with. Right. you right. The call of Paul is to live peaceably with men so that we can give them the gospel. That's our motive behind what we do. It's not, Paul even in, in Acts, he said, I'm not taking this liberty that I have to do whatever I want with it. He was taking the liberty that he, that he had to be able to reach people. He was taking what he knew that he could now do to reach people for the gospel. And in the back of Paul's mind, in every reaction and interaction that he had with people, was the gospel. How was, how was Paul reflecting Christ? When the waitress gets the order wrong, how do we reflect Christ? How do we live peace? Are they wrong? Yes. There are sometimes, yes, they are dead wrong in what they're doing. But we have to remember that the gospel is at stake. Yes. We have to live peaceably with people and be patient in all other matters. If there is a false gospel, the call is to defend the truth. We're not, we're, not, we're not tucking our tail between our legs and just hoping that nothing blows up when it comes to the sake of the gospel. But the scriptures are explicit that in any other matter, the gospel is what comes first. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, or 2 Corinthians 13, he says, if meat offends my brother, I won't eat it. Why? Because the gospel's at stake. Yes. Was there anything wrong with eating meat? Paul earlier in that scripture said, no, there's not. But if it was going to interact wrongly with his presentation of the gospel, then he wasn't going to do it. He was going to let nothing come before the presentation of the gospel. Yes. Right. That's, why he, that's why he comes to Peter. Because what Peter was doing was coming in front of Peter's presentation of the gospel. There were going to be Gentiles that would not hear Peter and his presentation of the gospel after what Peter was doing. Barnabas the same way. There were not going to be Gentiles that heard that Barnabas doesn't even like the Gentiles. that were going to accept the gospel coming from Barnabas. So Paul took it in his hands to publicly show everybody around that what these people were teaching were wrong. And he doesn't call out Peter and Barnabas in a way that he's trying to demean them. But he takes that whole interaction and he points it to why it's important. Thirdly, not only should we be defending the gospel, be patient in all of the matters, we are to speak the truth in love. And that's what we have to remember. is Any truth that we're speaking must be coupled with love. Again, we're not taking the truth as a baseball bat to beat people up with it, but we're taking the truth in love. Don't make living peaceable a personal preference don't make it to where my I should not make it to where my preferences on what I believe the scripture to say about something that's not necessary comes in front of me living peaceably with someone else nobody should look at me and see my preferences as a person and back away from the gospel because of my preferences I better not be making my preferences a stumbling block for them Because those are mine, and not his. I can't attach my preferences and my thought process on how I think that a Christian should live. I cannot attach those to the truth of Scripture because I'm not God. And when I do, I make myself to be God. And then I show myself and who they see as God and who they see the assembly that I'm a part of. They all start to see one thing and that's my preferences and not the truth of Scripture. Lastly, I want to turn it over to one other scripture, and that's Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 15. And uh, I believe Brother Ricky will appreciate this analogy that Paul uses here. Um, there may be others, but I think, I think for one, at least Brother Ricky will appreciate it. But in John chapter number 3 in verse number 15, Paul kind of wraps up what he said to the Romans when he's writing to the Colossians. He kind of wraps up what his thought is here. He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be thankful. So if we're to live peaceably with all men, that's only going to come from the peace of God in us. And what does Paul say here in verse 18? He says, Live peace, if all possible, as much that lies within you. Who does the Bible tell us lives within us? He said in Colossians, let the peace of God reign in you. If we have the spirit of God in us, is there going to be a time when it is us that is the problem? Yes, if we push the Spirit of God past. If we push the Spirit of God away. But if we have the fruit of the Spirit being produced in us, love, joy, peace will be produced in us by the Spirit. So if we're in a place where we're not living peaceably, there's a problem with us. Right. But what Paul says there, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So if we're going to live peaceably with all men, That's how we're going to do it. Peace of God ruling in our heart. What Paul does here, this word peace that Paul uses in verse number 18 is tied to what Paul says, the same wording that Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, let the peace, so this same peace, rule in your heart. And this is where I think Brother Ricky will hopefully enjoy the meaning that Paul has given us. Because Paul uses The word rule, that word rule literally means umpire. This is what it means. Paul is saying, let the peace of God be the umpire of your soul. How do we live peaceably with all men? Because we have the peace of God umpiring in us. In us, in the church. In any dispute that we come into, we have the spirit of God who should be in us umpiring saying, this is safe. (laughs) This is out. Does the first base runner get to decide what the umpire calls? The coach? Any of the players? Anybody in the stands? There's one singular point of authority on that ball field. And humanly speaking, he can be wrong. Spiritually speaking, he's never wrong. Amen. Amen. So if we are going to see what Paul is telling us here, then we need to take that away with us. We understand these principles that Paul showed in his life, but Paul had that spiritual umpire in his heart telling him when to live peaceably for the sake of the gospel and when he had to call things out for the sake of the gospel because that was what was at stake. In this text of service to God, talking about how we are to live with other people and in our interactions with other people, we're called back to verse number one again. Paul beseeches us by the mercies of God. Romans chapter number five, Paul told us that we were enemies of God. But God has made peace with us, and now we have the peace of God. So we have peace with God, which produces the peace of God, which should be producing peace toward others. That's the progression of the peace that God has given us. Paul is explaining to the Romans, when you were wrong, when you are an enemy of God, when you are warring against God, God, in your heart, God came to you and he called peace with you. The war is over. Paul goes on to say that now that the war is over, you not only have peace with God, but you have the peace of God in you. He tells the Colossians that peace of God needs to be reigning in your heart. It needs to be umpiring everything. So in our interactions with people, when people around us want to recompense evil toward us, the call of Scripture is for us to look back to the gospel ourselves, to see the peace that we've been given with God, and to let that peace of the gospel be the umpire in our heart to the way that we react with other people. Paul's not stopped. He's, we see our, we see our, our, our Bibles and chapters and verses. Paul wrote one letter. He, he, we're not to detach what Paul says here from the rest of his book. We're not detaching what Paul says in Romans from the rest of the scriptures. This is why what we do is important. Because the peace of God that we have with him is the only thing that's going to produce the peace with other people. It's it. And we talked about some of that last week. When something happens to me, my gut reaction, my knee-jerk reaction is not to be peaceable with someone. What happens inside of me is what happens whenever you have two ball teams that all run out on the field and are fighting each other. That's what happens whenever somebody lives peaceably against me. But may our prayer be that we see the peace of God and let that peace be the umpire that breaks up all those calls and fights that we have internally. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us